Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and Eyal Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and this is another installment of Dear A.L., the show where I answer your questions. And if you would like to have your questions answered by myself or my wonderful partners, Joey and Joel, just write to A.L. at URM.academy and specify Dear A.L., Dear Joey, or Dear Joel in the subject line, and we will most likely answer your question. The more detailed, the better. So... I'm sitting here in a hotel room. I seem to always be in hotel rooms. I feel like I live in a fucking hotel at this point. This is the fourth city I've been to this month. I was in Vegas for Nail the Mix with Logan Mater. We did Gojira at the Hideout Studios. Then I went to Orlando to do a drum course with Matt Brown and Luke Holland. Then I went to Anaheim for NAM. JST had a booth. And now I am in D.C., technically Bethesda, Maryland, but that's uh, just a suburb of D.C. And I'm here because we're doing Nail the Mix with Taylor Larson. So been a crazy month, and it's only going to get crazier because in February I'm going to go visit Joel for two weeks to film a course on speed mixing as well as a fast track or low end as well as a lot of our career builder material and uh, then going to Dallas for a conference then going to Orlando to film more and guys living the dream this is uh, this is what I wanted I'm really really glad that it's happening but it's very tiring it's very hard work but we're doing it because we're really trying to step up the amount of amazing content that we're going to be bringing to you guys. And uh, this is what it takes, never being home. So from my hotel room in Bethesda, let me begin this new episode of Dear Ale. Just took a sip from some beet juice. My throat is fucked, by the way. FYI. Here's my uh, first question. This is from... Santiago Romero Dear AL, my name is Santiago I am 15 years old and already started my recording career Well shit dude, congrats I am currently recording two bands which I found by messaging them on Facebook Good I messaged about 60 people before finding these two Oof, how else can I find clients considering that I don't have a reputation yet Alright This is tough because it's really annoying when you hit people up out of nowhere. But I know a lot of people who have done that and who get clients that way. And because of your age, uh, I think that you probably need to keep on doing that and just playing the numbers game. Um, If you're finding that you're getting two per 60, then you know that for every 30 bands that you contact you're going to get one client. So do the numbers and keep hitting up bands. But you don't want to do that forever because it is annoying and it takes a lot of work to keep contacting people and keep up with who you contacted. And 
it's not scalable let's put it that way and it's just not the way you want to be running your business but for getting initial clients in the door that's great but the trick is going to be now (coughs) excuse me now that you've got those clients what are you going to do with them how are you going to make sure that they tell all their friends about you and how are you going to make sure that what you do for these clients brings you your next set of clients because really that's how it works your work leads to other work which eventually becomes a critical mass and you don't have to advertise yourself much obviously you're nowhere near that and so what you really need is for these people that you're working with to have as good of an experience as possible so that they tell all their friends so put up with their shit do as good of a job as possible and uh encourage them to uh introduce you to their band friends now i know that you're 15 and that means that you're not gonna be able to get into all the shows because well actually i don't even know where you are and so maybe the rules are different in other places but here in the states you can't get into certain clubs if you're under 21 sometimes if you're under 18 you can't get into certain clubs i know that in some other countries being under 18 will prevent you from getting into certain places too so you don't have that necessarily available to you but that doesn't mean you can't hang out with people and be introduced to their friends so i would definitely try to hang out with these people as much as possible find out who the metal bands or whatever genre you're looking at are in your scene especially the ones near your age and try to record them all just uh just get out there and try to meet these people. Now, also, you need to have a uh, web presence. I highly suggest that you go to Brian Hood's uh, website, which will be linked in the show notes, and that you take his course, it's free, on how to build your studio website. <coughs> because the next thing I'm going to tell you is going to rely on you actually having a good site that... Um, is at least semi-professional. So please do yourself a favor and go to the Brian Hood page that I linked in the show notes and uh, get started on a studio website. The way that this works is that people are going to find you online and judge your past work so that you can start developing a reputation. Um, You can use, also, since you don't have clients, the first six months of Nail the Mix, you can use those for your online portfolio. So that's November 2015 through April 2016. So that resource is there for you as well. If you only have two bands that you worked with, boom, you now have six more that you can throw up there on your website. I also think that I've got something for you that you will enjoy and it's if you go to nailthemix.com slash client I'd like you to read our guide to getting your first big client okay we put this together because a lot of you are not sure how to level up your careers and one of the main things that you can do to level up your career fast is to get an artist that will level you up with them so One thing to keep in mind, though, is that we're not saying you need to score Metallica or even The Faceless or something like that. It needs to be an artist that's one level up from where you are. So if you're working with local bands in your area, 
you want to get the biggest one, right? You want to get the one that everybody knows, that everybody goes to their shows, and that's who you're looking for, right? <coughs> Excuse me. If you already are working with the big local bands, then what you want is the biggest regional band, right? Then you'll be pulling, once you do that, you'll be pulling regional bands from all over the area. Then you want to move to more national or to get re big regional bands from different regions. Um, you see what I'm saying? Is you keep leveling up in stages rather than going for the biggest of the big and then being bummed out when it doesn't happen. So take my advice, go to nailthemix.com slash client and uh, read that thing. So to recap, yes, do keep hitting people up on the internet, but remember, you can't do that forever. Two, make your current clients as happy as humanly possible so that they want to introduce you to their friends in other bands. Three, get out, start watching other bands when you can. I know your age is limiting you. Four, go to Brian Hood's site, which is linked in the show notes, and put together a good studio website. Five, download the first six months of Nail the Mix, put those in your portfolio. Six, download our guide to getting your first big client. Read it, study it, make it your religion. And then seven, once we launch our career builder level, subscribe, because that's what it's for. All right, that went well. Sorry about the coughing. Fuck, this sucks, but I got to do the podcast. Earlier, I did another podcast, and I had a fucking coughing fit that went on for five minutes, though uh, Joel and our guest Eric didn't realize it because I muted myself, but fuck. I've already had to pause this four different times because I had coughing fits, but I do it because I love it and I love you guys, and uh, let's get it on. Next question. Dear Ale, first, I love the podcast. Well, thanks, buddy. I've been recording for about 10 years and truly enjoy hearing you guys talk with other producers about this stuff. Anyway, what I'm going to ask you has come up a lot and I never know what to do. When a band member, manager, or label asks for the session after it's mixed, do you just zip it up and send it on its way, or do you print all your tracks and remove your plugins? Thanks in advance, Jamie. Well, I've been in that situation as well, and I have never felt like I've gotten paid enough on a mix to give them the session. And in my opinion, they don't own the session. They own the final mix, and they also own the tracks. That's their property, but they don't own the session. That's my property, and uh, I would gladly sell them the session. Um, I would gladly even get on Nail the Mix <laughs> and teach you guys the session, but I'm not just going to fork it over because they told me to. So the way that I've gone about this is to print out all the tracks, and send them the stems. Now, if they definitely want it in a session, what I'll do is I will print everything, put it in a session that's blank, but printed so that it's the actual mix, and send it to them. And that way, if what they want is to tweak off of my mix or, I don't know, whatever, they can in the session if they don't know how to import it themselves. Who knows, right? <clears throat> I've never understood what they need a session for. In my opinion, whenever they've wanted a session, what that says to me is we're going to skip 
hiring you next time now that we have your template we're gonna let the guy in the band do it next time that that dude who uh is a wannabe mixer that's what it, it always said to me so my inner response was always go fuck yourself fuck you that i'm not sending you the session so that you can replace me next time if you're going to replace me replace me but i'm not going to be handing you the keys to the castle so that you can replace me because like really why do they need the open session right i mean why do they need the session with all the plugins and automation what could they possibly need that for I don't I don't see it. So, yeah, I'd send them the the printed stuff and be done with it. And if they just still hassle you for a session, put the stems printed into a session and send them a blank session. And um uh, if they um uh, if they still want it with all the plugins and everything, do what graphic designers do. Graphic designers have two fees. Most of the good ones. One is for a flattened piece of artwork as is and the other one is for unflattened in layers and uh, I'm not a photoshop expert but I know how I know how the layers work right so when you're making an image in photoshop every different element is on its own layer and uh, you can manipulate the layers so say I have a logo and a background the logo is on one layer the background is on another and as long as those layers are separated I can manipulate the the uh, images individually but as soon as they're flattened I can't anymore and so you get a flattened image for a lower price because you can't fuck with it or for a higher price you get the uh, photoshop file unflattened because then that gives you power to do whatever you want with it and uh, to see what they're doing learn from it and um, mess with their art yeah so if i'm going to give you the session with all the plugins and all the automation and everything you're going to be paying more now another thing is i wouldn't even ask them if they want the plugins in my experience when you send a hard drive to a label they never check what's on the label on the hard drive it's just for their own safekeeping because it's their property they paid for it they own the masters <coughs> so I would not even ask, do you want the plugins? Are you going to look through the automation? Do you need automate? Just print the shit, put it in a session, make the session blank and send it. And don't say anything about it. And uh, I guarantee you that 99.9999999% of the time, no one is going to say a fucking word. Thank you, Jamie. All right, moving on. Hey, AL, my name's Jacob. And I'm a Nail the Mix subscriber and just thought I'd write to you and first off say, thanks for all the great sources of information and material and recording. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, well, thank you. Thanks for being a part of this and thanks for the kind words and uh, you rule, buddy. Secondly, I had a question about an album you worked on with the contortionist called Intrinsic. Oh yeah, that record. My question is regarding the low-end synths and how you went about finding a common ground and making it sound so huge and harmonious. Specifically, there was a track called Feedback Loop, which showcased this in great triumph. Thank you for your time. <clears throat> okay, that record was hard. <laughs> okay, but let's talk about synth specifically. A lot of work went into the synth. And uh, one of the first things that I did was get my own guy, 
on there to do the synth, who is actually now their synth player. His name is Eric Gunther, and uh, hopefully I can get him on the podcast sometime, because I've known him for ages, but originally their old singer, John Carpenter, um, no, no relation to the film composer, <coughs> originally he was their synth guy, and um, he came up with cool parts, but they generally sounded like Casio keyboard shit, there weren't enough parts, I guess. And uh, I brought in Eric to really take things to another level because Eric, he's like a really, really accomplished multi-instrumentalist. And he had he knew how to make synths sound crazy. And he, he had all these rigs where he would take a synth and reamp it through guitar heads and pedals and he would play organ or if he needed to mic up a piano he would mic up a piano like there were no rules and no limitations with him and he has a great ear and a great sense of melody great sense of harmony and I just thought that he would be a great addition to this project because these kids are really young man I mean they're very very talented and now they're far more seasoned but at that time I mean they were little kids I think, like, between the ages of 18 and 21. And uh, as talented as they were, um, I feel like the level of musical maturity that you're going to have at that age is not... You're not fully developed yet. I wanted to get some slightly more seasoned... Slightly more seasoned musicians on the record to help it be all that it could be, and that was Eric. I thought that he would be a great fit, and so I made it happen. Right then and there, that ensured that the arrangements of the synths worked with the arrangements of the guitars and the drums and the bass, and that's huge. That's such a big part. I cannot tell you enough how important that is because. If they were shittily arranged, then there's nothing I could have really done in the mixing process to make them sound as good as they sounded. So that was number one. I picked a really good musician to uh, play the synth parts and record the synth parts. Then, number two, they're really good sounds to begin with. Like, he makes good sounds. That was the other reason I picked him. I didn't have to create the sounds. He was giving me gold to work with, and then I just had to mix the gold, which was very challenging. But I was starting from a really, really good place. So, number one, it fit musically. And number two, it already sonically wanted to fit. Now, in the actual mixing process... To get it to work, it was very challenging because there was a lot of low-end synth. As we know, metal is a low-end monster. And uh, I developed a method on this record which has served me great throughout the years. And uh, it's similar to what you hear us talk about on bass between splitting into low and high. But I would take a lot of these synths and I would split them into multiple frequency bands and then I would process those all differently and I would automate them independently. <clears throat> so you would have drastically different chains on the low end of a certain synth, the mid-range and the highs. That's what really, really led to me being able to have the control I needed to mix it right. So... I would highly suggest breaking up your synths into frequency-based layers and then 
process those layers individually and then get ready to do a shitload of automation because not only did I have those multiple layers then bust to, like, say, okay, let's just say the bass synth or organ. Let's say an organ is high, low, mid, right? Then high, low, mid gets bust to an organ track, but then the organ track gets bust to the synth bus, right? So you're dealing with lots of different things at once and you need to keep your wits about you. So make sure that you're very organized in the way that you have your session set up. But that's kind of how I went about it. And then also a lot of side chaining of frequencies so that when the low end of the synth would come in, it was side-chained to the low end of the bass, for instance, so that it wouldn't be competing. It would turn down the low end of the bass accordingly and use a, a multiband compressor for that C6, I believe. <clears throat> and that's how I did it. It was just a lot of trench work, a lot of automation, a lot of side-chaining, and a lot of really, really careful processing of the individual frequency bands. And you throw that on top of a super talented band and a super talented synth player who's great at getting sounds, and you end up with a great end result, like we did. That's what went into it, and I hope that that helps. All right, let's keep this going. Here's another one. I've been wondering about your thoughts on EQing or just general processing in solo and getting each individual track to sound good to get a basis for the mix. I notice you guys don't discourage processing in solo, which is awesome. I've been doing that forever because I hated that quote-unquote rule. I usually bring in elements one at a time, usually drums, bass, guitars, vocals. So whatever I start on essentially dictates where the mix will go. My question is, at what point do you try to stop worrying about how things sound in solo and focus on the full mix? Thanks, Marcus. Well, <clears throat> Marcus, here's the thing. It's not that EQing in solo is good or bad. It's more that you need to know when to use it. Now, the way I look at it is that solo mode shows you a lot of the, uh, it, it shows you everything and you can really put a microscope to it. So if for instance, the, um, the guitars and the cymbals are, are clashing with each other and something's whistly in the cymbals, or whatever, um, you're going to have a hard time isolating what that problem frequency is in the cymbals unless you solo the cymbals, right? Solo the overheads. Um, same with guitars. When you're hunting for an annoying high mid frequency, it's going to be hard to figure out exactly what that frequency is unless you solo it. But for the most part, when you're doing like wide moves, the the wide wide cuts or boosts and your general i guess eq molding of a track when you're molding the kick and the bass to work together when you're molding the mid of the bass to work with the with the guitars when you're molding the vocals to uh, pop through the mix eq wise doing that stuff in solo is oftentimes not advantageous because you're you're losing perspective on on what's going on and i'm sure that you've been in the situation where you spend way too long eqing something and you think it sounds great and then you turn on the track and it sounds 
gone or buried because you can go too far. Like, for instance, on guitars, when you're hunting down bad frequencies, well, guitars, distorted guitars especially, are <clears throat> they're all noise. It's all harmonics on top of harmonics on top of harmonics. The distortion, if you let yourself go down that vortex, you're going to think that everything is a ringing, nasty frequency, and you can end up really neutering the guitars. So that's if you spend too long in solo. <coughs> So you want to spend, you want to go to solo to fix a problem, but then get right back into the mix. Now, when you see Joel, my partner Joel Wanasek mixing, and let me take a sip of this drink because I'm about to cough again. Uh, when you um, when you see Joel mixing, when he goes into solo, you got to remember that. His ears are very fucking developed. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he's going for. And his ears are developed to a point where not many other people's ears are. And so, it's, uh, it's not advisable to use solo as much as he does. Because he's a bit of a freak in that way. I would highly suggest using solo as a way to isolate what the bad frequencies are, get rid of them, and then try to make your wider EQ moves non-soloed. Also, I'm going to recommend that you go to nailthemix.com slash EQ Mastery, and you download our free EQ guide. Um, we have, it's a, it's a short little 30-minute course on how we go about EQing our LDFC, method listen diagnose fix compare uh it's a method i came up with for eqing it's a repeatable method so you can use it every single time and it will always yield you good results obviously you're going to get better the more you do it but go to nailthemix.com slash eq mastery and download our free course you're going to get stems with it and a 30 minute video on how to do it and then you if you like that you can buy our five dollar eq course which is two hours and 30 minutes of ldfc on every single kind of instrument you can think of and really 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 detailed eq instruction so if you really want to go for it i suggest you do that but that's my take on soloing solo to eliminate problems non-solo to work things into the mix all right last question for this installment of dear al here it goes hey al just finished listening to the latest podcast with dan surif Amazing episode, eye-opening, and learned tons of useful information. Thanks for making all this. I love episodes like this where I don't know the people you invite as a guest, but then the episodes ends up in my favorites. Well, Romaine, um, <clears throat> I'd like to think that all our guests are amazing people, and uh, that's why we bring them on. We assume that you don't know who a lot of them are, but we always bring people on who we think have a lot to... Uh, offer the community 
I'm going to keep on reading. Now my question. In this episode, you briefly talk about URM, how you weren't planning on having lots of guests at first, how customer service is evolving. I've been wanting to hear more about how Nail the Mix started, how many people are currently in the team, and your vision for the future of URM slash NTM. Basically, the story of URM. I know it's not a technical question where we'll learn stuff about our craft, but I'm curious and would love to get a peek of what's behind the curtain. Have a good day and keep making amazing shit. Cheers from France. Romaine Burger. Well, <clears throat> first of all, thank you. All right. How did Nail the Mix get started? Nail the Mix got started because I knew that we had to do it. I don't know how to explain it more than that. Um, I had this idea long before we actually launched it, and long before we launched our actual podcast, um, I just didn't think I was ready to do it. I didn't have a team in place, and it wasn't, I just wasn't ready to do this. Um, I knew that it was going to work, though. The reason I knew was because of how well I had done with Creative Live. Uh, I had already done a couple years of Creative Live courses, and I was doing, I was killing it. And then, uh, let me take a sip. And then I started doing my boot camps. And those were killing it. And I just felt like Nail the Mix would be the next level, the next the next step in, in audio instruction. It had to happen. I had total certainty that it would work. But I didn't want to do it before I was ready. And so we got with Joey and Joel. We started with a podcast. But the podcast was always supposed to evolve into more things. Um, it was never supposed to be just a podcast. So those of you who have been around since the beginning will remember that we always said that we're going to be doing more than just a podcast. There came a point in 2015 where it was it was just time to go. It was time to launch it. I don't know how to explain it other than this feeling inside of urgency. Just It has to happen now. If it doesn't happen now, heads are going to fucking roll. It has to happen now. And uh, <clears throat> it came out, and the rest is history because it fucking took off from the beginning, out the gate. We knew it. And uh, it's only continued to grow and grow and grow. We haven't had a down month since it started, so uh, the timing was great. Right now in our team, between admins and employees, let me see here, I think we have 12 people. Yeah, that's crazy, because it started as just the three of us, right? Me, Joey, and Joel, and now it's up to 12, and uh, we're in the pro- we need a new graphic design intern because uh, we lost one, and now we need a video assistant um, to, to help Jenny, our, our graphics goddess and video goddess, help her get get the job done because there's more work than one person can handle now with uh, all the courses that we're starting to do and our upcoming career builder level and uh, and more fast tracks and it's just it's too much so our team is expanding um, <clears throat> we're about to expand customer service too like I said um, it's getting to the point where as much as Amrish is on top of it. 
you know, uh, there's only 24 hours in a day, and we don't expect our employees to work 24 hours of them. We're going to need more people, and uh, so that's we're we're looking for the right people, and uh, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, we're very very careful about who we hire. Um, because at this stage of the game, a bad hire could really hurt us. <clears throat> but we've been very fortunate that we've had great people like Finn McKenty or Amish Mahavir or, or Jenny. Um, like, uh, our team is fantastic. And part of the reason that we've been able to grow as fast as we have and that we've continued growing is because one thing that we've done is that as soon as <clears throat> as soon as that we can take something that's not essential to growth teach somebody else how to do it and move on to more essential things we do that so we have delegated as many of the non-essential tasks as possible to our team members um uh Ben is a great team member, Mr. Ben Ecker, you rule. Um, <clears throat> we've been um, delegating these tasks so that me, Joe, and Joel can keep on focusing on getting better artists on Now the Mix, better guest mixers, putting courses together, planning planning things, like securing great studios to do this stuff in. Like, all this shit takes a lot of work. And so if we're not delegating or growing the team, then that slows things down. So one of the things that I see for the future is that we're going to keep on focusing on building the best team we possibly can so that we can keep this moving forward. And where do I see this all ending up? Well, I'd like us to be the number one audio education company on the internet within five years. And that is what will happen. That's where this is headed. That's where it's going, and that's the game we're playing. Um, <clears throat> I see a future where you can come to URM all the way from being a beginner to totally advanced and find what you need to help you get to the next level. <laughs> so all the way from building your first rig to... Uh, <clears throat> wiring a complex patch bay to securing your first client to learning how to EQ to uh, tracking to music, getting better guitar who knows what it is but if you have a need um, in the audio in the audio field we want to help you meet it educationally speaking and uh, that's where I see this going um, I hope that answers your question Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening. And we'd like more of your questions. If you want to send me your questions, please please send an email to al at urm.academy with uh, the subject line, Dear Al. And give me a good detailed question. Like, the more detailed, the better. And I'll do my best to answer it. And I apologize for my pauses and the coughing today. I'm just still sick and my throat is raw but I wanted to get this episode out anyways so yeah send me more questions and love to do this again love you guys have a good one 
The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite sound is everything. Visit Focusrite.com for more information. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit URM.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.